You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I'm going to be joined by Louisville's Jordan Wara, North Carolina Central's Lavelle Moten, and ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg. Wanted to make sure that I had a player of the year type candidate here before we get into regular practice that's starting next week and media days and all that. Also, very interested to talk to Lavelle and what he's gone through in building a program that he's an alum of. Uh, we don't talk a lot about some of the one-bid con- one conferences, some of the HBCUs, and North Carolina Central has been basically dominant in this space. Three straight NCAA tournament appearances, three straight appearances in Dayton, four NCAA tournament appearances overall for Lavelle. It was just in 2011 that this program went up to Division One. They've got some, obviously, some financial struggles in terms of getting the same kind of funding. They don't have the big-time television contracts that, obviously, the power conference schools have. Uh, why is that? Uh, what are the chances that uh, programs like North Carolina Central could lure higher-profile talent? There's a lot of discussion about that this summer. So we're going to get into all that. And also, Lavelle uh, has really uh, expanded his horizons in terms of his national coaching ability. He was a member of the U19 gold medal winning team for USA Basketball. So a lot to discuss with Lavelle. Seth Greenberg will be coming along as well here on the podcast, uh, discuss all things college basketball so good conversation with Seth as well. All right, a couple quick things before we get to our interviews. Uh, we're going to have headlines obviously coming up here shortly because we're going to be in the media day season of October. Uh, next week, I will be in Chicago and Las Vegas for Big Ten Media Day and WCC Media Day. So uh, Big Ten favorite is going to be Michigan State, then followed by Maryland. WCC's favorite is going to be Gonzaga, followed by St. Mary's. Uh, that's Pretty much a consensus projection. I don't see that changing between now and next week. Following week, uh, on October 8th, you've got ACC Media Day in Charlotte. That's where I will be. Uh, Pac-12 is the same day out in San Francisco. And then on Thursday, October 10th, uh, it's the Big East Media Day in New York City uh, at Madison Square Garden. I'll be there for that one. So that's over the next two weeks. Uh, On the website right now, NCAA.com, on our social media handle, uh, I did an interview with A.J. Lawson from South Carolina. Uh, he is going to be, I think, one of the better point guards in the SEC, also going to be uh, a candidate for first-team All-SEC honors as he tries to get the Gamecocks into the NCAA tournament. After last season, they finished fourth in the standings, uh, but not able to get an NCAA tournament berth. So a lot going on. We have the uh, bracket last week, the preseason bracket, a lot of buzz over that. Uh also, by the way, uh, picked my national champion in women's basketball going with Oregon. No surprise there. Uh, so you can uh, see that on our social media handles. And my top five this week, and we're going to do this consistently, but my top five this week, because we're going to end up having 10 conferences of predictions. Last week, it was the WCC and the American. This week, it's the, it's the Atlantic 10 and the Mountain West Conference. So we'll cover 10 in our preseason predictions. The top five conferences that we didn't cover that I think will have really good races that are going to be very intriguing to watch. And they are number one, the Ivy Harvard's going to be the favorite, but can never count out Yale. They've been a consistent presence. That race will be very interesting. That's number one for me. Number two, 
Missouri Valley Conference. Missouri State likely to be the preseason favorite. Never can out Loyola. And the race in the Valley is never, almost never one team. Three, the MAC. Uh, was Buffalo the last couple of years now that could shift to Bowling Green? That race will be one to certainly watch. Number four, Conference USA. Western Kentucky has Charles Bassey. They could be the preseason favorite. They've got arguably the best talent, but that hasn't always been the case in Conference USA where the number one team in the preseason ends up winning it. Another really good race. There's always quality teams near the top of Conference USA. And number five is the America East. The race may not be as competitive because I think Vermont is going to dominate. They've got the best player in the league in Anthony Lamb, but will Vermont do enough in the non-conference to make sure they get a bid no matter what, whether they win it. Uh, there's a good chance they're going to be hosting. They've not, oh, they haven't won it every year. Remember UMBC a couple of years going up to Vermont and won. But I think they've got the makings of a team that could get a good seed and good double-digit seed, I should say, and win a game or maybe two in the NCAA tournament. But they got to get there first. And they got to make sure that they have such a great regular season that there's no question. So I'm going to be tracking that and watching how that all plays out over the course of the season. A lot of chatter, I know, off the court about what's happening in these various states, in these uh, likeness state laws that are going on. I just want to say this, because this is going to be a work in progress, so I'm going to reserve my full opinion on this until I see what plays out. But I just want you to chew on this aspect on a soapbox moment here, and that is, the California law, for example, would not go into effect till 2023. It is a high probability that the one-and-done NBA rule will change in 2022 through the new collective bargaining agreement between the Players Association and the NBA. So I ask you, if in 2023, if the elite players are not even coming to college basketball, the Zions of the world, now you're going to that second tier. And if this were to come to pass, it's all a big if, okay? If this likeness was allowed to some degree, you're going down a couple pegs about the level. So I just want to throw it out and we'll talk about this because I'm not saying that someone shouldn't be able to cash in, if you will, on their likeness. That's a different argument. I'm just saying I wonder how much they'll be able to command. And that may be incredibly situational. Some places in the country, if this were to happen, may overvalue it based on the fact that they are the only game in town. There's plenty of college towns like that. Um, so we'll see. This is all a fluid process. But I will say this, and we're going to talk to Lavelle Moten about this. No matter what, none of this will allow these players to get, quote-unquote, rich off of it. You're talking, you know, is it potential spending money? Is it potential money to help them out in college? Um, and that's all great. Uh, but let's also not think that there's a false narrative that players are not compensated in some form. They are. It, it may not be in the cash form, but they are compensated when you have Pell Grants, when you have cost of attendance, um, the fact that most of these athletes at the elite level don't have to pay for any food uh, because it's accessible to them. 
so all that, there, there should be some money. There should be if you manage it well. Whether or not they can profit off their likeness, it's now, we'll see how it plays out in the state level. We'll see if it ever becomes a federal issue. But more than anything, what you're hearing from the NCAA is what you should be hearing, which is this is a process, a legislative process, and nothing is going to happen overnight because, first of all, these laws are not destined to happen overnight. As I said, the one in California, if it goes into effect, isn't until 2023, all right? We are now in 2019. So allow the process to take hold. Allow the legislative process. I'm confident that there will be tweaks to all this. You have to remember, everything's been moving in a direction of change. It just may not have happened as quickly as everyone wants. But things have changed. They've gotten better. And they will continue to be tweaked. So please be patient. I would also say that with the enforcement aspect. There's going to be, uh, you know, there are reports of notice of allegations that are going to be coming out. We already know that they have come out this summer. So the FBI investigation is over. It's now the NCAA's turn. And look, I would love it if all this got wrapped up before the season. Not going to happen. We don't know if there's going to be any penalties, whether it's a coach or team, during the season. But at least allow the process to occur. We have seen this before in that you have to allow due process. Everyone wants to rush to judgment. There are those that do everything right and ethical are saying, why aren't certain people being suspended? Why aren't they being fired? The NCAA, first of all, doesn't hire a fire. They can issue show causes, which ultimately can lead to that, and they can issue suspensions. But you got to allow the process to occur. And I think it has sped up. Everything can always be faster. But you also need a right to have due process. And that's why when the notice comes out, you know, you've got that 90-day window to respond. You've got your hearing. And then there can be an appeal. I mean, it's like the court system. And so you don't want a rush to judgment. And you need to have time to obviously, you know, potentially defend yourself, challenge what has been alleged. So we need to allow this process to go forward. All right, that's my soapbox moment. I want to get to Jordan Wara from Louisville. I want to discuss with Seth Greenberg some issues in college basketball and some teams. And then we'll back it up with Lavelle Moten from North Carolina Central, who's got a great perspective on a lot of different issues. All right, that's all coming up right now on March Madness 365. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Jordan Wara from uh, Louisville, who is my preseason ACC Player of the Year. Louisville, my preseason ACC champ. And Louisville, a team I also, in my latest bracket before a game is even played, have as a number one seed. So I'm putting all sorts of pressure on you guys and you. Uh, since you've been back on campus, what's the mood been like? Just everybody is just knowing right now what we have to work for going into this season. You know, a lot of expectations are put on us, but... You know, it's just not the expectations put on us. It's the expectations we're putting on ourselves. So, you know, we know what we want to achieve and what our goals are, and we're just putting that work in right now. Uh, Everybody's just locked in for the season. How do you explain what has happened really since Chris Mack took over, since you've been there? Uh, It just seems like, you know, there was definitely a, a feeling like things were going sideways, and it is completely flipped to where there are good vibes in every form about Louisville, especially going into this season. 
Uh, I just think that, you know, Coach Mack was just the, the, good, the right guy for the job. You know, he knows what, what he's doing. He's came in here and, you know, he's done a great job with all of us, you know, all the other coaches. So it's really just really just him uh, being being good at what he does, being a great coach and, you know, leading us in the right way and helping us be successful. Why are you ready to embrace this role as a leader, as a potential player of the year candidate? Just because I feel as though I've put the work in for it just every day. You know, spend time in the gym, lifting, you know, getting up a lot of exercise, working on my game, you know, working with my teammates extra, you know, just really doing everything I can to put myself in that position to, you know, help lead the team, you know, help achieve achieve all the goals that I've, you know, I've set for myself and for the team. So, you know, I just feel like some it's something that I've worked for. And if I keep working hard, uh, it'll come to pass. Look, you guys made a major statement almost, you know, when we go back to that Duke game. Um, you know, how much did that game, when you look back on it, define what this team can be, where you can see what it could do, obviously, with a great lead against a team that was obviously highly ranked and loaded with, you know, top talent versus a team that clearly, you know, needed to obviously deal with adversity and handle when things, you know, start going downhill. It just shows that, that we have, we have a chance against anybody, you know, as long as you, you have heart, you know, that's, that's what it takes. Um, obviously we let that Duke game slip out of our hands. It was a game we should have won, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, the only thing we can do is get better and learn from it. Uh, it was a really good experience. You know, uh, we had a few games like that where we had a lead and, you know, we, we couldn't finish it, finish out the game. So, you know, just looking back on last season, we, we see what we messed up on, you know, a lot of the guys who played a lot of minutes last year are back. So, you know, we kind of see what, what we did and what we need to improve on, you know, moving forward uh, this season. Well, then that's a great example that a game like that, you know, should be a tremendous lesson, should be on the board saying, look, we're good enough, but we're not so good that we can't be beaten or have teams come back on us. How much can that be that lesson this season that you're going to have to take everyone's best shot and be able to play a full 40 minutes? Uh, yeah, that's, that's really what it is. You know, last year, Duke was that team where everybody's going to give, you know, they were going to get the best shot from every team they play. You know, everybody's obviously looking forward to play them. You know, that's kind of going to be similar to, to us this year. You know, a lot of people are going to be looking forward to play us. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be the same thing. You know, obviously we were on the other end of it last year, you know, being up and then losing the game. It's just going to be uh, just playing hard, you know, having a lot of the guys returning who played a lot, you know, they all know, but also having six freshmen kind of just like getting into their heads that, you know, it's not going to be easy winning, winning games like that. So uh, it's just, just everybody has to be on the same page and lock in and I'm sure we'll be all right. All right. Last two things. I appreciate it. We'll let you go. One, in what way is your game better this season than it was a year ago? Uh, I think I'm, I'm doing a better job. Obviously, I think I'm, I've, I've gotten better scoring. I think I've gotten better uh, at passing the ball, uh, you know, kind of decision-making. And then I think I've gotten a lot better on the defensive end this summer. So you know, those are probably the, the three things that I've that I've improved over the summer. All right, so that's you. In what way is this team better? I just think that our chemistry right now is, is really good. Um, I think that everybody is, is willing to get in the gym on their own time. And, you know, really make make strides to get better individually. And then because of that, as a team, we're getting better. So I think that just the chemistry and everybody being willing to get better on their own time and then, you know, just having that time together and practice, you know, that's really making us a, a better team moving forward. Jordan, I appreciate it. Look forward to chatting with you uh, in actually, what, a couple of weeks at ACC Media Day in Charlotte and throughout the course of the season. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. 
And coming up here on March Madness 365, I'll be joined by ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg. Seth and I are going to dive into a couple of topics. He's heading to Texas Tech later this week. We're going to talk about the Red Raiders. Uh, he's got some opinions on the transfer portal and just a couple other things in college basketball. It's all coming up with Seth Greenberg. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, my good friend, former colleague Seth Greenberg from ESPN, also the co-host of Courtside with Dan Dockich, the ESPN College Basketball Podcast. And Seth, a couple of topics to delve into here with you. First, you had a very interesting tweet, as you always do, over the weekend, talking about how there's still 150 players in the transfer portal without a destination. What does that tell you here in late September? It's sad, uh, to be honest with you. And, and look, I'm not saying it's the coach's fault. I'm not saying it's the player's fault. I'm just saying that, you know, you're talking about 150 kids that were on probably scholarship. That's about $600,000 worth of scholarships if, you, if you're talking about out-of-state tuition. And you're talking about 150 kids that were playing college basketball that were, you know, living that life, gaining an education. And at this point in their life, getting ready to start a school year, they they have not uh, – not left the portal, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. And, and that's disappointing. Now, some people say, well, you know, it's 150 kids. A lot of those guys were run off by their coaches. The whole concept of guys getting run off by their coaches. First of all, that's a wrong term because, you know, a coach might have a conversation with a guy as well. How important is playing to you? You know, you know, what do you expect your role to be? And, you know, a player says, well, you know, I want to, you know, start. I, I expect to start. I expect to, you know, get 15 shots a game. I expect the offense to run through me. And if the coach is going to be honest, he's going to say, well, you know what? If that's what you're looking for, I don't see that happening this year. We've got X, Y, and Z. That's not running off a kid. That's being honest with a kid. See, this once you sign that letter of intent and you end up at a, at a school, you get what you earn. Like, you know, like no one's promised anything. I mean, the best players are going to play. Coaches don't have agendas. Uh, they're going to try to put the best team on the floor when it comes to basketball. Now, when it comes to the other things, you know, I mean – you know, I, I love when people tweet, you know, at me, as they would say, but like coaches care about their players. They want to see them successful. They want to see them thrive. They want to see them get in their education. They want to see them make good decisions. There isn't a coach in the country that doesn't want those type of things for their players. But in the end, you know, you're trying to put together a team. You've got 13 guys on scholarships. You could only probably keep eight or nine happy. If someone's going to be impatient as a freshman or at the end of a freshman year or a sophomore year, and not wait and not run their own race, you're going to have people transferred. The disappointing thing is I think people rush to the transfer portal, rush to get their name on the bottom line, and probably didn't think of the consequences. And it's sad that you're going to have 150 kids right now that don't have a destination. So I was shocked at the number, quite honestly. But uh, you know, hopefully those kids can find a place, whether they go down a level or whatever. You just want to see these kids continue to move on, get an education, and use you know basketball to help themselves, you know, you know, better themselves or change their station in life or you know prepare themselves for the future. All right, I'm going to continue a little rapid fire like we used to do here. Next week is Big Ten Media Day. Michigan State will be picked to win the Big Ten. They're going to be either one or two in the preseason top uh, in terms of the top twenty-five. Uh, Tom Izzo decided not to go on their foreign trip this summer. It's going to be a long season. He's got a veteran group for the most part. What are your early thoughts on Michigan State? You know, I'm. how can you not be high on them? I mean, Cassius Winston, you know, everyone talks about the best players in college basketball. And for some reason, people forget what Cassius Winston did last year. No Josh Lankford. Nick Ward was out. Only did 18, 7, 5. She shot 45 from the field, 39 from the three. 
you know, uh, you know, 84 from the line, got the ball where he needed to get it, when he needed to get it. Josh Langford will be back. Aaron's will be back. Xavier Tillman might be the most improved player in college basketball over the last few years. I remember watching him as a freshman and telling Tom, that guy can't play for you. And he is a really, really good player right now. I mean, he, he's a special player right now. I think Aaron Henry is going to have a breakout year and take his game to another level. Gabe Brown is a very good prospect. You know, interesting to see what happens with Bingham. You know, they're just, they're a very complete team. You know, they're going to be ready to be compete, but uh, they always have a tough schedule. And uh, I think they'll get better as the season goes along, but they're not the only team in the big 10. Like I'm really high on Maryland. And it's a team you're going to see here shortly too. Yeah. I'm going to go watch Maryland practice uh, in another week. And I, I just think that Maryland has a chance to be really good. Obviously stick Smith is, is goes from 11 points, I think to 18 or 19. He rebounds the ball. He blocks shots. Anthony Cowan, as a senior, I think has a chance to really be good. Now, they've got to take better care of the basketball. The one thing about Maryland, you know, and it seems like it's been year in, year out, is their inability to make a decision. I think they turned the ball over 19% of their possessions, 19.3% of possessions. You can't do that. But Ayel is a shot maker. Wiggins is a shot maker. They've got versatility. They've got depth in their front court. They've got experienced point guard. They always defend. You know, I think that they've got the makings. I think seven of their, uh, they have seven returning rotation players. I mean, they have the makings of a really, really good basketball team that could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. Wednesday, you're going to be in Lubbock uh, visiting with Texas Tech. You've been at these sort of places that are not in a major metropolitan city. Notably, you were at Virginia Tech. I mean, when you look at what Chris Beard has done in Lubbock, Texas, program that you know maybe had some moments but never reached uh you know elite eight to a national championship game in back-to-back seasons how would you describe what chris beard has done in such a short time at texas tech i think it's it's remarkable but i I give chris beard credit because he gives tubby smith credit because he says that you know they had a good culture when he came in they had some good players when he came in and then he just had to build upon that they had an energy because they'd been to an ncaa tournament uh but what Chris Beard has done is is remarkable. I, I think one of the things, his background, his coaching background, coaching on the outer edges of college basketball, coaching semi-pro basketball, uh, you learn to put together a team quickly. You learn to figure out who can play for you and who can help you win. You learn uh, not to have, you know, basically work day. To, what are we doing today to get better tomorrow? And I think that's what Chris Beard has done. He's recruited guys that fit his DNA. He's recruited guys that fit his culture. He's recruited guys that fit his personality. Uh, maybe some have given, he's given some guys second chances. And then he's mixed those guys in with some grad transfers and some freshmen. And I, I, I think that's the, the interesting thing. And, you know, the, to take Tariq Owens and, and Moni last year and fit them in seamlessly. You know, with Jared Culver and and, and Ariasi and those guys, it was, it was remarkable. Now, the basis of what they do is on the defensive end and how hard they play, how physical they are. But I mean, you know, the kid Moretti, a big time shooter, he returns. Chris Clark, the transfer from Virginia Tech, is a you know a terrific athlete. T.J. Hallfield was sitting out last year from Stephen F. Austin. He's going to be good. He's got a great freshman and uh, James Ramsey. I mean, he has the ability to put together teams put them in position to be successful and, and develop a mindset. You know, they're going to defend, uh, you know, that, you know, they're going to be physical, you know, that they're going to run motion. That's going to be hard to defend. 
I think the guy's, I think he is absolutely as good as it gets. And he understands the business of college basketball, what they've done with their social media, what they've done with the fireside chat, what they've done with, you know, the videography and, and getting messages out. Uh, he's created an ownership within the community and with the student body. And he's created a connection that has enabled Texas tech, not to have a basketball team, but to have a basketball program. And last thing, Seth, before I let you go, we're going to tip off the season as we have last couple seasons at the champions classic. You'll be there for ESPN. You've got Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan state. What do you hope we'll learn after that evening? I think I'm interested to watch Kansas first and foremost. Uh, Devon Johnson, uh, Devon Dotson, I should say. I mean, he could, he could be disrupted defensively, and he's explosive offensively. The addition of Isaiah Moss, a 42% three-point shooter last year at Iowa, gives him another jump shooter. What will Silvio D'Souza be after a year off? Obaji, to me, I think is going to have a breakout year. He's kind of their X factor. And they got the kid Jalen Wilson late. You know, he was originally going to go to Michigan and play for John Beeline. You know, you put on top of that the immovable object, Dalkazabuki. I think it'll be interesting to watch them. And and then, you know, you know, you talk about Duke and Kentucky. I mean, just you know, both of them, which is different, even though they have one and dones, both of them have guys back. And, you know, as good as the incoming players are. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, when you have a Trey Jones back at Duke, boy, does that make that transition easier for those guys? You know, you put Trey Jones, a cash Stanley, an elite athlete. You got Vernon Carey, a big body up front. But you've got these other players that are returning, which I think really kind of solidifies the culture and the understanding of what – they need to do. Now, I'm interested to, to see a couple of things for Duke. How will they be defensively? I think they have a chance to be really, really good defensively and really be disruptive defensively. With Trey on the ball and Cassius Stanley in passing lanes, uh, Wendell Moore is, is really, really an active defender. That'd be interesting. And then I think Kentucky, the same thing. If you think about Kentucky, you know, Ashton Higgins is back. EJ Montgomery could take a huge step forward this year with his skill and his size and his length. Nick Richards, a year later, I think will be, you know, Really interesting to watch. Emmanuel quickly. I mean, you're talking about, you know, four guys right there that, you know, are a great, not a good foundation, but a great foundation for what you're trying to do. And then, you know, you build on top of that with, you know, an incredible, you know, freshman class. Khalil Whitney is a freakish athlete that plays really, really hard. I mean, I mean, really hard. And everyone I've talked to at Kentucky tells me that, that without a doubt, I mean, when you watch, Tyrese Maxey, he reminds people of Derrick Rose, that type of explosiveness. Uh, you know, the Sestina kid, the kid who transferred uh, from Bucknell, gives him another front court player that can score it. I, I just look at their team and uh, two teams that have really talented freshmen, but also have some returning players to coach their locker room, to give them some substance, to get them to understand what it takes to be successful. That's a great balance when you have returning players with really talented incoming one-and-done guys. Thank you, Seth. I know I'll see you soon. Safe travels. Catch Appreciate you, buddy. Coming up next here on March Madness 365, my conversation with North Carolina Central head coach Lavelle Moten. We're going to discuss how North Carolina Central has consistently been an NCAA tournament team during his tenure how an HBCU tries to essentially get more recognition, and also why coaches from HBCUs, one-bid leagues, have had a hard time moving up. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, North Carolina Central Head Coach Lavelle Moten. 
And Lavelle has had an incredibly successful run at North Carolina Central. In fact, they've been in the NCAA tournament four times, three straight times, all in Dayton in the first four, and not all winning the MIAC. That was three years ago in 17. They won it in 18, came in sixth, won the tournament. Last season, tied for third, won the tournament. Uh, Incredible successful run. Just this past summer was part of a gold medal staff, uh, the U-19 championships for USA Basketball. So he's got an illustrious career so far. And want to dive deep with Lavelle on a number of topics. And first, let's talk about where this program is at right now. Uh, to where you've had this consistent success uh, where I don't think it's getting enough national pub because when you can dominate and win a conference, whether it's regular season or conference tournament, uh, it should be recognized to win it three years in a row. I don't care what league it is. That's incredibly tough. How have you done it? Man, we've had some really good basketball players, and we've been fortunate to have a really good staff. And, you know, Andy, you know how it is. It's just it's kind of like the stars aligning at the right time. Uh, along with some buy-in, along with some consistency, and just the ability to to be able to handle pressure when when it's needed, because we all want big leads, so people don't care about your body of work. There's been times where we went 15 and one in conference. There's been other times where we went undefeated in the regular season, but we didn't win the conference tournament. And those days are forgotten. And I thought that was some of my best teams. So we've learned to manage throughout. We learned to. Um, you know, accept the bulls out of us on our backs and embrace that and just use it as a, a chip on our shoulder, man. And, you know, when, when March comes around, we, we seem to put it together. What does it mean for a program? I don't care what round it is. Dayton doesn't matter. What does it mean and what does it do to the program to make the NCAA tournament? What we found out and, you know, what, you, first of all, we're only eight years old. Right. So as a program, we made the transition from Division Two, I think, in 2011. So we were eight years old as a program in Division One. Right. In Division One. Yeah. Not as a historic university or anything. Yeah, right. Right. That's been well over a hundred years. Yes. We were Division Two in the CIAA, you know, long before then. But just a divi- in terms of making the transition from Division Two to Division One, we're eight years old, and I think in that time we've won six championships, whether it was regular season or tournament championships, in eight years. And what we had to do along the way was kind of educate our fan base because they weren't accustomed to the national spotlight and the and the publicity that this tournament really brings you. And I think one of the best things that ever happened to us, we had a chance to let God rest her soul. Um, Deborah Saunders White in 2014, we made the champ. Uh, we made the tournament, but we were the prime time game on TNT, right? So we were Friday night. We were the only game that was playing and, she figured out the the impact, not only the cultural impact, but the historical impact that those ratings and just that limelight and that publicity had on our university at that time. So she started investing more resources into our basketball program because the marketing that comes along with it, you you know, like I know, Andy, you can't pay it. You can't pay for it. It's, it's not a marketing strategy that you can present. And so NC Central was heard all over the world. And prior to that, we were an acronym. We were NCCU. And people at HBCUs were familiar. And obviously, our fan base were familiar with NCCU. But if I went to California, people didn't know who NCCU was. And I, I went to, I was in Oregon on a recruiting visit. And a lady, a 65-year-old, lady approached me she said you're the coach at nc central and i was like wow like so it expanded it expanded and obviously it it was the cornerstone 
to introduce our university and what a great package that we have to offer to the world as well. First of all, you're selling yourself short. If I'm adding correctly, you've won three conference regular season titles and four conference championships since 11. So oh, wow. that would be seven. My bad. You sold yourself seven. short by one. Yeah, my, um, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> so, yes, I, and I don't think the public fully grasps what it does to a university, especially at the Division One level, one that is so young. But I want to get to the USA basketball stuff here shortly, but let, let's stay on this, that, you know, there's been a lot of chatter in the public space about HBCUs, also about – uh, the disparity from high majors. You know, I don't even like the terms mid and lows or lower profile, but there is a big right. disparity. And there's all this chatter about what players should and shouldn't get. Help right. us understand the listener here, those that don't follow it as closely, what life is like at an HBCU, a successful one in this sport, in terms of budget, in terms of marketing, in terms of finances in the ability to compensate players in any way and how difficult that is at this level? You know, it's, it's been a cry, you know, throughout the public for quite a while right now. And I think uh, over the summer, you know, it really got a fresh new pair of legs and, and, and began to run this course again. I think what people have to understand is that this is not your great-grandfather's NCAA. Right. I think the NCAA, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was established as a governing body in 1910. Right. I would like to say throughout the course of 109 years, this game has evolved. Every sport has evolved. And, you know, now kids are demanding that they receive, you know, funds for and they, you know, for their abilities and also the likeness of the money that they're bringing in at an HBCU level. I think it could work. Um, I just think the funding has to be distributed properly um, because, and, and I did an article with Jamel Hill about five-star athletes, you know, committing to HBCU universities and how that would change the course of HBCUs and, and how it would basically serve as immediate inflation for HBCUs. And I just stand by that because, you know, no disrespect to anyone or any university academically, um, most people don't know the presidents of those universities. Most people don't know or recognize the athletic directors of that universities, but everyone recognizes the coaches and the, and the players as well. So kind of to answer your question, if we generated X amount of dollars, I know we get a certain amount, maybe 500,000, maybe a million dollars to go to the NCAA tournament each year. Um, if, that could be distributed, let's say $1,500 a semester to each kid on our team. I think if I'm, if I'm adding it up correctly, that would be probably 30,000. Well, 1,500, we got 15 guys or whatever on our team. Let's say that would be 60, let's round it. That would be $60,000 for the year just distributed to our basketball team who is virtually responsible for bringing in $500,000 to a university. So I think that's fair. And that's a proper return on their investment. And these kids need it. They they honestly need it. So I think that disparity would, would definitely close the gap if we were able to, to receive those funds. All right. So a couple of things. First of all, this is an important point because in this narrative, I think, uh, gets hijacked. You just said $1,500 a semester. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which obviously to a college kid, 
that can be a lot of money, that can be extra money. But it's also not a lot of money. You know, I think there was some narrative out there that, oh, you know, they're going to get like salaries, you know, because we're so, uh, you know, we're so uh, transfixed on the professional salaries that are, you know, almost monopoly money. So, you know, $1,500 is not that much money if that's what hypothetically it would, you know, would come. No one is getting, I think the thing that needs to be stated here that gets lost is if this ever does come to pass, no one is getting rich off of it. Okay. All you're talking about is some extra spending money over the course of a calendar year. And that somehow has gotten lost as well. The other thing though, and uh, you know, I respect, you know, that I think it'd be great if we saw a more uh, diverse, um, you know, pool of players going to, you know, different schools, because I love seeing different schools, you know, make a run. And we've seen that. I mean, obviously, look, Butler, when they made their run to -to back-to-back final uh, championship games, they had pros on the team. So you got pros, you can make that run. Uh, That's how it happens. I don't care what it says on the front of the jersey. But how do you change, how do you change the television dollars? Because that, you know, kids want to go where they're going to be seen. Right. It may sound great, to go to different universities, and it'd be great if more HBCUs had elite-level players that could play in the NBA. But right now, we're in a market where television drives, you know, the dollars, and they have these contracts with all the high-profile Power Five leagues. They're the ones that are on, you know, from November to March. How does that change? Right. I, I think, and I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And. I probably don't have the exact answer, but I but I will offer this. I will present this. I think that television really, really mattered years ago because you had ABC, NBC, CBS, right? So those, those stations really, really mattered years ago. But now I just think the tables have turned where everything is televised. If it's not on national television, then it's streaming somewhere. I think we had 15 games on television last year. So any game that my wife is unable to attend, my kids are able to stay at home and watch it. They find it on these streaming pages or, you know, whatever it may be. And I I just think at the end of the day, I don't think it's the kids going and finding the television I think it's the television going and finding the kids. And what I mean by that is, if let's say Zion Will, uh, Williamson comes to North Carolina Central University. Um, and, and Andy, you know this. A lot of these kids are going pro based off their high school reputation, right? And when they get to when they get to college, it's just a of matter the elites, of, okay. Of the elites. <laughs> of the elite, correct. Because I mean, so, I'll give you a good example. If I just counter one thing. Mm-hmm. A player like Trey Young, for example. Trey Young... Uh, was not out of high school a kid that was going to be a lottery pick. Right. You know, he had a great freshman year at Oklahoma, and that's how it happened. So, and those things are still going to happen even if they change the one and done. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I agree wholeheartedly on, on that topic. But let's say Zion Williamson comes to North Carolina Central University. The world already kind of knew about Zion, but if we play two or three games and we start off games like 
you know, against the high majors, the the, the guarantee games, the Louisvilles and those guys. Which, by the way, you always have to play on the road. Right, right. We're, we're going to start off on the road, and those games are going to be televised or whatever. Let's say we're playing against Louisville, and he has 28 points and has some of the same ferocious dunks that he have at Duke. Then everyone is now venturing to say, who is this kid? Like, what is he doing? He's at North Carolina Central. We've never seen an athlete like that, blah, blah, blah. Everything that everyone ever said about Zion, just imagine him with a North Carolina Central jersey on. Now, once he creates a, a buzz about himself, I think the television comes in and, and, and forms it. their – yeah, yeah, they're going to form their broadcasting around them, you know, around those kids because it's about entertainment for them. It's about ratings. And truth be told, I think he was the most viewed athlete in the world last year. Now, obviously, Duke had a lot to do with that. And Sports Center had a lot to do with that. But these are the avenues and the streaming opportunities that we have available now that we didn't have years ago. And I just think it's a platform. Everything is a platform. Everyone's social media is a platform. Andy, my kid is six years old. He's been viral two times in his life already. <laughs> That's my son, right? And at six years old, and he ain't mean to do any of it. So... With this new age technology, with this social media, I just think the television is going to find the product and the athletes. And once you collaborate some of these athletes on one team, then I think you have a gold mine. Well, you're right. It, it, someone needs to be the Pied Piper and start it out, and it only takes one. You're right. Uh, a couple other quick things, and, and, and we, I could talk for hours with you on all these different topics. You know, one other issue that's happened, I think, at the coaching level uh, in the MEAC and the SWAC, and I could use some other leagues too, not just HBCUs, I mean the Southland. It's been difficult for some coaches to move up. And exactly. uh, you are an alum, so you've got a personal pride there, uh, and you didn't need to move because you, 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 know, you obviously, you, know, you don't miss with happy. You're happy. But how right. difficult is it for a coach at an HBCU to be looked at for a higher level? I think it's really difficult. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking statistically. I'm speaking uh, facts. I think, Andy, I'm glad you asked that question. Since 1979, um, I, did, I did my research uh, prior to getting a uh, North Carolina Central job in 2009. Since 1979, these are the only coaches that have moved from division from HBCUs to mid to high major division ones. Uh, John Cheney left Coppin State. No, John John Cheney left Cheney State right. Division Two at the time and went to Temple. Um, Jeff Capel Senior left North Carolina A and T and went to Old Dominion. Uh, Sean Woods left Mississippi Valley and went to Moorhead State. But that's the Patino factor too, so that comes right. into play. And you can't include Mike Davis because he'd already been at Indiana, right? Texas Southern, right? Mike, you know. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So you got Mike, and then you have Anthony um, Evans, who left uh, Norfolk State and went to Florida International. Off top, unless I'm forgetting one, in the last 40-something years, those have been the only ones, right? I've had offers, and I just recently turned down three this this summer. I've had offers, and I don't often promote that. Um, and I think in, in – in my time at North Carolina Central, I had, I've had six offers um, that I just recently declined. So I've had some opportunities as well. But as a whole, when you're speaking as a whole, we haven't received that. And I think it's a dark cloud over our heads. Um, 
I think the media is inconsistent with how they present us to the public. Um, and I think they, they box us all in. And I think that's completely unfair. Um, you know, if Florida State goes and play football and they beat Savannah State 77 to nothing, then they'll start our sports center with that. Right. But when we upset NC State, when we upset Missouri, like we didn't start off sports center. So it's an inconsistency that kind of like, you know, boxes us in and put us in a stereotype and in a pigeonhole. I've been fortunate to, you know, be blessed with other opportunities outside of HBCU basketball. So I haven't been labeled as a guy that's just an HBCU basketball coach, you know, in terms of you know, my past of training NBA basketball players and, you know, being connected to this person and that person and, you know, my relationship with George Ravlin and USA Basketball, you know, it goes on and on. So that kind of allows you to step out of the shadows of HBCU basketball in terms of the public perception and how you're viewed. But everyone else doesn't get that opportunity, and it's definitely been a fight. And, again, seven championships in eight years on a Division One level, and, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone else that's, you know, <laughs> achieved half of that. And I'll tell you this. If there's, there's, there's some brothers. I don't want to mention their name, but you already know who they are. There's some brothers. Um, that coach in Division One, and they're both at two different universities. And they came up to, and, and they're white. They came up to me and said, "Well, if your last name was my last name, you'd be the richest coach in America." And I was like, "Wow, that that just don't." We was just on the road on a recruiting trip, and it was their way of speaking. And I was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" He's like, "Hey, what's up?" He's like, "Man, what you doing? It's phenomenal." I said, "Yeah, still trying to be on the ground." He said, "Man, if your last name was my last name." you'll be the richest coach in America with what you've done. And that was, that was a blow. That was a, I was like, wow, you know, coming from him, that was a real, a real situation and a real statement. And, you know, I understand it. And unfortunately, you know, it's not like that, but you know, when I talk to coaches from the seventies and the sixties and the eighties and so on and so forth, it's kind of like we're going through the same things and the same challenges and difficulties that they went through just in a more modern era. All right. Last two things. I know we've been chatting for a while here. Uh, one, if you just rattle these off for me, who stood out to you from your USA basketball stint that we're going to, is going to make an impact this season. And then two, what are the chances we're going to see you back in the NCAA tournament? You know, USA basketball, it was, it was an incredible honor. Um, you know, we were 19 and under, so we had some collegiate guys. Um, you know, Reggie Perry was phenomenal. He was the MVP. Tyree from Mississippi State, Tyrese Halliburton, I thought he was phenomenal. His assisted turnover ratio was phenomenal. Um, the guy individually uh, that impressed me the most was Cade Cunningham. I knew about him, but I didn't know much about him. And, you know, the kid is just – <laughs> fantastic and what makes him great and he's an outstanding kid you know sometimes you get these five-star kids and they get anointed early and you can't coach them you can't tell them anything and you know they have this AAU mentality and so but he, he was always under me asking for advice and wanting advice and you know that was big Evan Mobley I love him he didn't get to play as much because he did injure his back but he's going to be a phenomenal talent and uh Scotty Barnes as well you know so those kids are going to be probably three of the top seven picks in the 2021 draft, most definitely. And uh, for the second part, uh, North Carolina Central, man, we're going to do what we do. You know, we're on the ground right now. Um, 
you know, I tell them we're not going to live in the shadows of the previous teams. Um, their job is to, they've been handed a Ferrari and their job is to drive this Ferrari and bring it back clean and not crash the car. So that's the analogy that we pretty much use, but we haven't accomplished anything together as a group, as this group, um, as far as this group goes. So we're on the grind, man, and we're working extremely hard. It's going to be a little more challenging as it does each year. It's so difficult for us to schedule, Andy. So we just finished scheduling maybe two days ago. Um, so it's not a guarantee game. It's pretty much a soft guarantee game where we playing Sunbelt schools or teams that's really essentially not on our level that's going to give us a, a soft uh, payment to come play them and so on and so forth. So hopefully that'll just prepare us for, for March and we'll see uh, how it goes when we come around in March. Lavelle, it is a pleasure. And I know we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, for those listening, make sure you check out North Carolina Central. This program consistently is in the postseason. I think we'll probably see them in March again. Nothing against the rest of the media, <laughs> but uh, this has been the uh, the standard lately. So appreciate it, Lavelle. Thank you. Andy, thank you for your time. I appreciate you, my man. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. You can follow all our work on all our March Madness social media platforms on NCAA.com, wherever you download your podcast. This is the one for you. Beginning next week, we're on the road at Media Days all around the country. And next week, I will be at Big Ten Media Day in Chicago and the WCC Media Day in Las Vegas. The theme of next week's podcast, though, will be the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 Media Day is the following week, same day as the ACC Media Day in Charlotte. So it's all coming up on March Madness 365 over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.